0: aloha and welcome to sup fm the podcast for stand-up battle boarders everywhere so with no further ado let's get out on the water and on with the show here are your hosts nick and simon aloha nick aloha simon how are you I am absolutely fantastic, and it's great to speak to you live and in full effect from your fantastic chateau in uh, in Portugal. There, um, t- so today we're making. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry, I have to chuckle every time you say that. The butler's just left, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: <laughs> fantastic. That that's. Uh, I know it's exactly like Downton Abbey uh, over there, but um, so today we're going to have a bit of a departure from our usual podcast format Um, and that means that uh, we're going to have a chat today about uh, what's been quite a remarkable year in stand-up paddleboard. I know it's been a pretty horrific year in a lot of ways but uh, stand-up paddleboard this year has been absolutely incredible in terms of interest and uh, we're going to talk today a little about um, learning and um, with so many new beginners um, who are taking up the sport. It's a subject that's um, caused quite a bit of interest. And of course, uh, we've dipped our toes into the the learning area. Obviously, we're both instructors and have been instructors for a number of years. But we've also launched our first online course this year, which uh, looks into sub safety for leisure paddlers. So uh, um my first question to you, Nick, this will be a familiar one to you, is uh when was the first time you were exposed to stand-up paddleboard? And tell me a little bit um about that first experience.
1: Well, I uh, first of all was was on the internet and I started seeing I think Instagram had just started up. I'm not sure. It was it was about twenty thirteen. And I started seeing all these photographs of people paddleboarding and I was like, Well, what is this all about? I didn't even know what it was. It's was quite far removed because I used to surf um, you know, I started surfing when I was 14 and I gave it up for a while. And then when I came to Portugal, I started looking around and I'd been working in IT and just really had my head down in front of the computer and I needed to get out. And I really wanted to try and get out and walking the dog just wasn't doing it for me anymore. So I thought, saw these photographs that sort are of popping up all over Instagram. I was thinking, you know what? That looks amazing. I was thinking about kayaking and and now I see the stand up paddleboard thing it looks so much like surfing. So I thought I'd investigate it. And um, a friend of mine... Had two paddle boards. They were old, eleven um, foot NSPs, big barges. And he took me out, and we didn't have any wetsuits. And we went out in a cold sort of winter's day. I mean, it's a cold Portuguese winter's day. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we it's went. It's about out, eighty so- degrees. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it wasn't comfortable. You know, it was quite chilly, and I didn't want to fall off. And I didn't fall off, but we were out in the ocean, and it was really—I just felt, oh, this is horrible. Really didn't like it. And then um, I was writing a blog because I was trying to get a blog going about outdoors in Portugal. And I went to go and interview this lady who had a stand-up paddleboard school down um, just east of where I am. And it was incredible. Um, she took me out on a much larger board. It was an inflatable re- sta- um, a red stand-up paddle. And it was a 12.6. And it was so stable and it was amazing. I just jumped on this thing and it's like, okay, was, it was flat water as well because it was in inside our Rio Formosa, mm-hmm. which is a um, uh, coastal lagoon. And I was just cruising along, and I looked down, and it was, the water was so clear, and I saw the fish below and the seaweed, and it was just seagrass. And it was just such an incredible experience. And I, I thought, wow, this is really easy. And and I started paddling mm. more and more and more, and, and I, I started hiring boards. Then we only we bought four boards, and we started a stand-up paddle school and got a certification going. So from there on, it was pretty easy sailing, because learning to stand-up paddle was easy because we went on the certification course, and they taught us proper techniques. Uh, and so mm-hmm. from then on, I just paddled every single place I could. and I was just looking all over the place to try and find little blue parcels on the map and uh, and to try and mm. find out exactly where to go. So how about you? How was yours?
0: Uh, well, I've, I've discussed mine on the pod before. I'm sure people are, are fed up with hearing it, but um, mine was um, a typical... Um, British day on the coast, which was driving rain, driving wind, um, pretty cold. I was together with some friends and we hired, um, two kayaks and two paddle boards. And I basically, um, hopped on the the paddle board. I'd like to say I was a natural. I probably fell off about 350 times. Um, we paddled into a headwind. Um, you know, I absolutely love the difficulty factor and, um, and, and, and following that, it was a, a landmark birthday. Uh, and, um, it was originally going to be, um, a kayak that I was going to go for, but, uh, I did a bit more research, um, opted for stand up board, and, uh, haven't looked back ever since. It's been, uh, just a, a monumental journey that was back in, I think, um, 2012. And, um, you know, I've really enjoyed uh, the process of, of learning um, a brand new sport because for me, I didn't have that surf background. I was absolutely a dry land athlete. I'd run marathons. I'd done lots of um, long distance cycling. Um, I and I'd played rugby for for quite a few years. So I definitely didn't have that sort of waterman experience. So it was a totally new sensation for me, and and I guess that is common with. A lot of people who are joining the sport at the moment, they haven't previously had any experience of, of water. So the idea of this um, episode is to, for us to sort of get our heads together as instructors and also people who have sort of picked up the sport in the last 10 years and just to talk about that whole kind of learning process, the sort of difficulties that, um, that people have when they're learning a new sport, um, the challenges um, from the instructor instructor side and um, and just to really give people some hints and tips as to how they can develop their skills and also develop their their love of stand-up paddleboard. So Nick, if you think back to your process of learning when you got onto the paddle board for that first time and and subsequent occasions, what was your sort of learning like? How did you pick up the skills at, at what rate? And and how did you make sure that you had a productive session whenever you were out on the water?
1: Well, to be honest, um, it was pretty easy for me because you know I started on flat water and on the right kind of board, a large board, and we just paddled as far as much as we could. So it was very, very easy. We're starting to get into the ocean, I mean, we bought four boards in the beginning because we wanted to start a stand-up paddle school. So um, we bought a 12.6 Explorer, which is this quite wide, 30-inch wide, big inflatable board, and then also a 14-inch race board, which is 27 inches wide. So it was quite tricky to paddle that in the ocean. So that was quite challenging, and I would just try and push myself all the time. But it was definitely a case of jumping onto YouTube, checking it out, looking at some techniques, looking at Connor Baxter, how he paddled, um, and also speaking to people around me. Um, there were a lot of other people, and I was connecting to everybody on Facebook. It was, it was amazing. There's this really accepting group of people, of stand-up paddlers all around the world. And like that's that's blossomed now with um, these Facebook groups where everybody's really keen to help. And obviously, on those Facebook groups, you're not always going to get the best information, but um, it does help a little, and also checking out proper YouTube videos. So, so that helped mm. me a lot. But I think what the interesting part was moving from flat water paddling into stand-up paddle surfing, and I started surfing on inflatables, and, and I, all my mates used to laugh at me and say, "Oh, you got to get a hard board. You got to get a hard board." And I was like, "Well, you know what? I'm totally okay with learning to surf on a mm-hmm. on an inflatable because it's so forgiving. You know, when you fall off, you don't break your neck." which is, a, <laughs> mm-hmm. you don't smack into the board and it's, it's much easier. And, and it was an interesting transition. It really was trying to understand how the water reacted with, um, as you were standing up on the board and just getting your balance and, and you know, mm. all these different techniques, like really, you know, keeping your legs soft and your knees soft, you know, bent all the mm. time, and keeping the paddle in the water at all time, like a third, a third, a third leg, basically. And, and mm. that really helped um, the, the balance. And you know, it's just practice. It's getting out, doing it again and again and again. It's like anything. If you want to get good at anything, you just got to do mm-hmm. a lot. Like, for example, people say, "Hey, do you want to be a writer?" And they say, "Well, just go and write, and just write every single day." So, if you want to mm-hmm. be a good paddleboard paddleboarder, just go and do it. And I think um, what was very interesting, that was quite interesting to me in the beginning was how many different phases of the stroke there were, the actual paddle stroke. And there are five phases of the paddle stroke. And if you analyze those in great depth, and to be honest, I don't class myself as a very efficient paddler at all. I've just got a lot of brute strength and I just club it away. And so I haven't really bothered with the technique, which is bad. And I think um, getting the right technique is great to eliminate any kind of of strain on your body. And um, Mm. what do you call it when you have uh, muscle strain? Uh, I I, I got it quite bad. Cramp. Uh, tendonitis, of, mm. yeah, and tendonitis as well. I, I used to have a problem with that um, until I found an incredible physiotherapist with electroshock therapy, which is great. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you if you stress yourself, I mean, you can. It, it's a very uh, non impact non impactful sport, but if you push yourself too hard, you can get repetitive strain injury quite a lot. Mm. So, mm. Um, and I just yeah, think, definitely. and a tip for for people who are just learning and not au fait with the water at all. And this used to happen with a lot of my clients all the time. They would they would paddle around and then they would just stop and expect, because they stopped paddling, they would expect them to be physically stopped. And they didn't realize that the wind was blowing them and the current was taking them as well. And, the, and a lot of people are very involved with what they're doing on the paddleboard and looking down. They don't look out around and see their circumstances and see exactly what's happening and how they're drifting. So I think that awareness mm-hmm. is is a vital thing to get onto the water and always understand which way mm-hmm. the water is moving, which way the wind's moving, and where you're going to be. So I always do that first thing whenever That's we right. get out in water with inexperienced people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's the knowledge, isn't it? Which generally comes um, with time and, and exposure on, on the board. I mean, my my initial phases of learning how to stand up paddleboard were a little less natural than yours. I think I was a little bit fixated with uh, not falling off the board initially. So I remember um, paddling up and down the, the local river where I went at the time. And there were these tiny little sort of um tourist motorboats i mean when i say motorboats you know they probably had a, a sewing machine engine in there they really didn't go very fast at all but they produced this tiny little wake and i remember sort of really having to concentrate hard to to not tip be tipped into the water when uh, when they passed me so it wasn't intuitive the movement of the water wasn't intuitive at all for me and and i think you're absolutely right if you want to get good at anything first of all it's really important to give yourself a bit of a break realize that you don't um learn skills particularly stand up paddleboard skills because there's all sorts of movement of the board you cannot learn that intuitively um, just you know just straight off the bat you've got to spend the time on the water in order to to get that real feel for the water and um the other thing is is that you shouldn't really get fixated about uh, falling in the water i mean you know you, certainly if you're likely to fall in quite often and if the water's quite cool then you should make sure that you you've got the right sort of clothing for it but you know in terms of the indignity as well of, of falling in well that's just what you've got to do in order to get better and there's a really horrible cliched Phrase that um, I love trotting out at this point, which is saying, if you're not getting wetter, you're not getting better. So, yeah. um, so, so that's that's absolutely it. But you know, <clears throat> you did f- f- fasten on on a really important thing, which is trying to mix things up, and certainly going on on the sea, and you know whether it's a little bit of swell or chop or you know, surfs, surfing small waves does make a massive difference to your skill set.
1: Absolutely. And um, what's interesting for us right here, and I'm not sure if this is applicable to everyone around the world, but where we paddle, one of the most fantastic paddles here is called Benegil Cave. And it's this massive cave. And uh, it's, an, it's a coastal cave. So when you when you're paddling around cliffs, obviously the waves will come in and they'll smack against the cliffs and they'll bounce back and they'll refract against each other and chop each other up. And it just gets to be very, very difficult to try and um, work out exactly what's happening with the water. And then you get a whole bunch of motorboats cruising around, you know, pu- pushing out all these wakes behind them, which also intersects with those waves. And you get a very unpredictable wave pattern and you just chop all over the place. So that's, that mm-hmm. is quite challenging to, especially in the, depending on the type of board that you have, and I think mm. that's the vital thing. If you know, if you're starting, go for a really wide board, and you'll be fine. You know, go for like a. I always say to people that, and I see these people on Facebook as well, and they they are labouring over the first purchase of a board. And I understand it's a big purchase. It really is. I mean, if it's five hundred pounds or dollars or euros or whatever, it's still quite a lot, and even more. Uh, it's it's a big investment to make, and, and especially if you're not quite sure whether you're going to carry on with it. But mm-hmm. my advice has always just been get a ten six thirty two inch wide board because that'll be or thirty four inch wide even sometimes so that'll be really really stable, and then you'll outgrow that after after six months but you know you'll always use it. You'll always use it for mm-hmm. friends and, and you want to go paddling with other people as well, which is so much fun. So you can have a, a board for other people. But I think another step in the evolution, because like my evolution of stand-up paddling was was to go surfing, which I absolutely love at all times. But mm-hmm. another I'm with you. Yeah. Another step in that evolution was to go out and to camp the night and spend a night out camping. So I would what I do is I go into a lake. My first camping expedition of my own was go out in the lake. And you and I have done this as well. Um, exactly the same lake where we went out and you paddle out for about, I think it's about four kilometers and then stop and camp the night, take all your kid with you and then paddle back in the morning. And that was such an amazing experience when I first did that all on my own. And it was, it was really great. And after that, I thought, well, you know, I want to do this for more than one night. And, and then we start getting into the realm of, of expeditions and multi-day trips and, and that, to me, is, is really, really good fun. We just, um, last week, you might have heard our podcast all about our latest 160-kilometer mm. um, paddle across the Algarve. And it's just so much fun. It's such a rewarding thing to do. It's exhausting. It really is. But um, it's well worth it. And I recommend anybody mm. to, to try and venture out into doing a little bit of stand-up paddle camping. As well as surfing, yeah,
0: and and it was a great episode actually. I really enjoyed listening to it. You know, mate, mates together, you know, the war stories and all of that sort of stuff. Um, you know, it, it, it's a it's a very good good listen, and uh, I was very jealous. Um, I I do want to make one observation about that though, because um, as part of our social media, we we posted a photo a photo up about you guys just about setting out, and uh, it, it did look like you'd already been paddling for three days. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, incredibly grizzled. It looked like the after photo rather than the pre photo. But, um, <laughs> well, we've but, but the
1: episode for hand. Like you know, you've got to have an adventure beard before you go out on these things.
0: Right, exactly. Carb loading is very important. So uh, good that you were getting those beers in uh, in advance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a boozy trip. It wasn't supposed to be, but uh, it turned into a bit of a boozy trip because mm. the Algarve isn't exactly the wild, the world's wildest wilderness. It's um, mm. yeah, it's it's beautiful, but it's uh, there's a lot of um, restaurants and bars along the way. So we managed to make use of those.
0: Sounds incredibly tough. So, so I mean, we, we talked a little bit there about kit. And um, as we talk about in our um, leisure paddling course, there are three main ingredients towards, um, you know, getting a successful launch um, as a new stand up paddle boarder. And we talk about kit skills and knowledge and the best ways of sort of acquiring that so you know you're absolutely right ab- about kit I think you know go for something relatively middle of the road because really until you spend a lot of time out on the water then you don't really know where your interest is going to extend to and um, certainly that's been the case with everyone I've ever known who's who's taken up stand-up paddleboard and then after that you can kind of get the the specialist boards the surfboards and so on, so would you say that um, like a uh, would there be certain brands that that you particularly favour, or or are you sort of quite kit agnostic in terms of brands?
1: I'm pretty kit agnostic. I mean, if you're talking about beginners, I don't think that, and I've often said to a lot of people, um, you know, because I've, I've got a couple of mates who are all the gear and no idea. And they go out and they spend tons of money on the latest stuff. And, you know, they all talk about it and they learn about it on the internet. Oh, but this one's got, you know, an extra millimeter here, an extra millimeter there, and it's going to make me go faster. And before you get good enough, that's not going to make any difference to your paddling. Mm -hmm. It really isn't. Okay, one one tip I would say is invest in a decent paddle as soon as you can. um, Because paddling, the paddle itself is probably the most vital part of your kit. It's even more important than the board. Um, so try and get a carbon mm-hmm. paddle, but um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm pretty, I, I wouldn't say, I mean, obviously there's some really great brands, and they obviously cost a lot as well, you know, like Fnatic uh, is a great brand, um, NSP is a great brand as well, I use a lot of those guys, and and Job's mm-hmm. great brand as well for, for inflatable paddle boards, as is red paddleboards. Mm-hmm. but I think as you become more aware of these brands, you'll see, obviously, that the price will reflect the quality, and once you know you're serious about it, yeah, go for a quality board because it makes sense. Because it'll last longer, it'll get you there faster, and you'll have much more fun. So it's vital. Mm. But as as far as the basic kit setup, uh, I mean, it goes without saying, and it and it sounds obvious to us. But please, yeah, you've got to use a leash, paddle, and a, a PFD and a board. I mean, that's it. That's all you need.
0: Mm, exactly. And and in terms of, of kit choices as well, there's a, a huge range of of Board brands that that are popping up at the moment, and potentially that could lead to some sort of a, a wild west type scenario. And certainly, we've seen it this uh, this year. Sort of, basically, um, everyone with a, an account with um, Alibaba has set up their own um, stand up paddleboard brand, put their own um, logo on it, and um, and got a really good start. So. Uh, you know there are the premium brands, and they are priced because of the quality. And and you know I've tried a variety of, of brands in terms of rigidity and so on. You know they put a huge amount of research and development into into progressing and um, the quality. So you do get what you pay for. But there are a lot of mid level brands as well um, who have been um, in the industry for a number of years. Run by uh, people who have a passion for the sport and a real interest. So you know, don't um, don't sort of rule out those brands just because they're not the premium ones. There there is a lot of quality kit out there. And and final the final thing to say about brands is is that um, there is a secondhand market out there. There are people who are, are trying stand up paddle boards all the time and maybe thinking that it, it's not for them. Um, so if you can and and these are absolutely a a real premium at the moment have a look for a secondhand um board from one of the the big um brands because that's probably the best value way of getting hold of one and um you know the inflatables or the solid boards you know will basically last forever
1: absolutely um and I think um, trying to find secondhand paddleboards is great. If you join a group and if you've got a club nearby, because now nowadays paddleboarding is apparently it's the most popular water sport in the world, even more. So more people are doing it than surfing, apparently, according to Starboard's Sven Rasmussen. And um, mm-hmm. so I think it's very important. When we started paddleboarding, what, about six years ago or more, I think you, you started paddleboarding. Um, it was mm-hmm. hard to find other paddleboarders. And now there's so many paddleboarders, mm. it's, so it's so much easier to get together a group and build your own group, even if you have to, because there's so many benefits from getting together. You can swap kit. You can sell kit to each other and buy a kit from each other. Um, you can swap experiences mm-hmm. and, and everything. And you can try other people's boards. So I think that's another thing that people are very keen to let you try their board. And so you can understand what it's like on a different vehicle. Or go to a demo day if you can. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's first price. But um, not many of those mm-hmm. around where I am. But um, I'm sure if you're living in, well, a, in a… nowhere, in a, I you know, think. Yeah, that's <laughs> hard. Um, but, uh, yeah, and also I wanted to say something about brands and, and inflatables. For example, I used Job stand-up paddleboards, inflatable ones, um, in my school for three years, and I would leave these things pumped up on the roof of my car for an entire season, and they're in the hot sun, lying on hot sand, and it was amazing. I couldn't believe how these things stood up to that kind of rigorous testing. You know, a lot of people are very precious about mm. their boards, and they, they have to deflate them every time they use them and roll them up, and, and I couldn't believe those things just lasted, just left them fully inflated at, mm. you know, proper 18 PSI.
0: Right. Well, there's a safety warning on that one, Nick, which is uh, don't follow Nick's example because um, you know while while a lot of these brands are sort of very very robust, you don't want to to risk that. And um, I, I think the key key risk is some of those darker inflatables. But you know, even in extreme temperatures, the um, the air sort of expands inside the paddleboard, and if you sort of pumped it up to its maximum capacity and then there's more air in, it can go pop. So and that can be quite alarming. So um so but full uh, kudos to Job uh, for their resilience. So in terms of kit, we've I'm just I'm just putting that qualifier out, out there. Um so in terms of the three main ingredients for, for learning, we've talked a bit about um kit and we've obviously done that on the podcast in previous episodes in a bit of detail. Um, the other thing is skills so we've talked already a, a bit about that um that um it's all about time on the water and getting used to the motion of of the water but there's also instructions and there's a huge array of different organizations out there who can help you with your your skills so you you've done courses with um a few of those um, but there's almost a limitless amount of um, abbreviative organisations. I think you've gone with WSA and ISA, haven't you?
1: Uh, WSA, yeah, the Water Skills Academy, um, based out of the UK, and um, the ASI, the Academy of Surfing Instructors. Took, I think they're originally from Australia, I'm not sure, or the UK, I don't know. But they were great too. Mm-hmm. They're both really, really good schools um, and certification groups to go with. There's also, I mean, if you want to take it to the next level and uh, once you've done those courses and start going into more intensive racing and that kind of technique, you know, like proper paddle stroke technique and optimize your, your paddle stroke, there's something called Paddle Monster and those guys are amazing. You can take a video of yourself paddling and they'll go and analyze your stroke and everything and, tell, and give you information over the internet these days, which is, and, and they're top world class. I mean, it's actually the world ladies number one is one of their coaches, so. So yeah. and obviously Larry Kane, who I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, he's, he's um, an incredible coach, probably one of the world's best stand-up paddle coaches. And you can get that kind of um, feedback on your stroke from him. It's amazing. It's just a part of the internet. Isn't that incredible?
0: It's amazing, and and that feedback is so important because while you can pick up skills and techniques by looking at YouTube videos, um, it is really difficult to get that level of feedback. Which is why, if if you are developing your skills, I think that the gold um, experience is always one to one with a quality coach. But um, certainly, Seychelles and um, you know, and the Poddlemon- Paddle Monster um, tribe are. Um, an amazing and new way of getting that feedback
1: mm. another thing which i think is vital to understand in the whole greater scheme of things when you stand up paddling is obviously the water i mean that is probably one of the biggest things to to try and get familiar with and try and understand how it works and we've talked endlessly about um tristan gooley's book how to read water and that really does help a lot when you try and understand exactly how it moves and, and try and understand We'll try and predict how it's going to move as well, and then becoming au fait with all the the weather forecast systems and um, the weather forecast apps. I think to to un- basically to understand the conditions is probably one of the primary things. And you won't get it straight away if you're not used to it, but over time you'll suddenly start feeling you'll you'll feel more and more acclimatized to what's going on and more in tune with what's happening. you be able to feel it, and and it's an incredible feeling when you can when you know what's going on. I'm a bit sort of detached now because exactly. I've been paddling for like a week or so, but when you're in the zone and you're paddling every single day, yeah, you really do know the weather and it and it does feel kind of mystical.
0: Mm, it does, it does. And it, and it's all about accumulating that knowledge up front, isn't it? And w- one of the worries, one of the concerns that we had um, coming out of lockdown, the first lockdown that we had um, this year, so we're talking sort of May, June time, um, was the number of people out on the water and the number of people out on the water without any knowledge whatsoever. And, um, you know. Going out paddling where I did, I saw a whole load of absolute potential horror stories. And um, there was also this year a a fatality and uh, also countless rescues from the RNLI. And the sad thing is that all of those things potentially could have been avoided had the people been more aware of the conditions and had more of an understanding which kind of leads us uh, very adeptly into um, into our course, Nick. How long did it take us to put that together?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, how long did it? But I know it was a hell of a lot of work because I said, I remember coming to you and saying, hey, Simon, let's make a course because, you know, this is this is going to be amazing. There are a lot of people out there who need this kind of uh, tuition. And, you know, the WSA and the ASI and all those guys, they hadn't put together these courses. I mean, they do courses. Um, but they didn't do an online course where you could just sign up and, and do a you know, video-based course when I mean, you could do it whenever you wanted to. Um, so mm. we, we talked about this and, and I suggested, and I, and I put it like a little vague skeleton and I, and I thought, I wonder if Simon's going to go for this or not. And he and you came back like in truckloads and just started spewing all this incredible information out. And I was like, wow, let's do this. Um, and then I couldn't really keep up. So um, then it was, Nick, 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 you must record this mm. and let's do it. So we we built our own home studios mm. And we recorded and we got it all done and I think it must have taken us what two or three months, huh? In in lockdown. What do you think?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, no I, I wouldn't describe no, myself as spewing, spewing it out, but I certainly spent a lot of time writing it. And, you know, it's like anything, you kind of think, you know, stuff, but um, it's only when you actually go to, to teach it formally and to cover all of the areas that you really get into the to the detail. And uh, it was, you know, it was a huge amount of work, you know, first of all, writing it, but but second, just doing all the research and sense checking and so on. So it was. You know it was brilliant for for my own knowledge and I think I think we've definitely built something there which isn't anywhere else because you know as I mentioned online can kind of take you so far and and there is some really good content to be fair on YouTube and um facebook and and so on but first of all, it's not curated, so it's not particularly focused. Second, it's it's quite inconsistent. So there's some great information um, up against some information that's just really quite poor. So I think if I was starting and looking for for you know how to learn the full sort of comprehensive range of stuff that i needed i'd find it really difficult because i wouldn't know who to listen to and some people don't cover some areas but cover other areas really well so that's there's, hmm. there's that kind of inconsistency which we obviously wanted um to nail so um so i'm sure I, that I, I think we did it
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that you guys out there are dying to know what's in this course, because um, it's quite comprehensive. I think we've got about 45 different modules in there, all video modules. Um, And it's broken down into one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, basically six sections, right? So the first one um, is selecting and using your kit. And we've just touched on that briefly um, in, in the previous in this conversation today, and then the second section is building your basic safety skills. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Simon?
0: Yeah, I mean we cover a, a range of different things. I don't have the the itinerary in front of me there, but um, well, like, we cover some I some really look- basic stuff about like falling in. Okay, well you you leave no, there yeah, like
1: falling falling safely, which is which is important. I think a lot of people <clears> just get the fact that if they fall, it's just well they have fallen, it's uncontrollable. But you can actually fall and be Semi in control at the same time, and then it's about getting back on your mm. board, which a lot of people struggle with—is getting back on their board. I think mm. that's a that's a vital thing, and, and self-rescue yeah. is really important. So getting out and, and making sure that you don't get yourself into a really bad situation, how to call for help, and uh, we talk about you know cell phones and different paddle apps and uh, and things to help you when you're out there, and then getting on and off the water. Um, is, is is quite a difficult. Sometimes you know it sounds. Sometimes it sounds really silly to talk about this, but other times it's very very important because you know you can have slippery rocks, you can have different all kinds of things that'll cut you up, and on as you're walking in and out of the water and submerged hazards, etc. So there's a, there's a lot there. And then we have a little quiz after that, just to to um, sum up your skills that you've learnt. Mm. And then this is this is the yeah. one that we, I was basically hinting at now is how to assess and manage. Conditions and we go into the effect of wind, the effect of river flow, how tides work, uh, what tidal range is, and uh, the law of twelfths, which always gets a giggle from all my friends when I tell them about the law of twelfths because they're like, "Oh, wow, Nick, you're amazing," <laughs> um, <laughs> and other tidal factors, and then basic weather events. So I think those conditions are what I, what we were referring to earlier. How to assess and manage those conditions mm. is vital,
0: but but it but it's it's the why and the how which um, which we sort of go into in quite a bit of detail. So, you know, this is this is probably up to I guess sort of. Um, level one possibly even level two instructor level in terms of of knowledge but it just gives you that underlying um, ability to be able to uh, assess conditions yourself and again I'm a bit of a student of Facebook groups where I sort of dip in to offer advice over over the summer when everyone was out paddling and and there was some some pretty awful advice going on there and you know one of the great things actually is the whole stand up paddle vibe because this whole aloha thing seems to have been taken on by you know all the new paddlers everyone wants to every you know there's a lot of new people out there and everyone wants to help every one else but when people are giving advice um you know if they've been paddling since march and this person's been paddling since june um and if they haven't done the research and if they don't understand the conditions then you know potentially they could be offering absolutely the wrong advice that could put that person in danger so i guess that's another key reason why we wanted to to plug that information gap because um Obviously, schools have had limited operations because of the the COVID thing. Um, We've got an inconsistency of stuff online and, you know, people are doing webinars and so on. But in an hour, you can never cover all of the topics you need to in, in the right level of detail. Plus, once it's gone, it's gone. So... Um, so that was another reason for for putting this this course in just to basically plug that um safety gap so um yeah I mean it was great fun doing it um on green screen and uh using your your video yeah, skills and my animation skills which, which are, is is not massive um yeah. but uh but no it, it's definitely it's something that that needs to be out there and and certainly something uh we'd recommend that um, if you are a beginner if you do want to be able to learn how to look at um, say apps or weather forecasts whatever service you use and assess whether or not that's that you know you're going to have good conditions tidal conditions in your area you know it's absolutely essential really
1: and and the nice thing about it as well is that it's it's there for life you know you can you can use it um, as long as you want there's no limitation on the time so once you've bought it you um, you, you've got it and you can refer to it all the time and you can go and dip back into the videos. Um, and, you know, we also talk mm-hmm. about how to avoid and deal with common hazards and how to successfully plan your session. So we did this quite a lot in um, in our WSA course. You know, we'd, we'd be given a section of, of areas and, and given a set of conditions and, and, a, and a forecast. So, okay. How are you going to plan this session? And what, what do you have to look out for? And, you know, it's because it's quite incredible. Just a, a little example, a story where we paddle in Farah in Portugal, um, there's this big coastal lagoon. It's called the Rio Formosa. It stretches 70 kilometers along. And there are quite a few boats in certain areas that are anchored in you know, in quite dense um, arrangements. So when you're paddling through there, immediately I'm paddling through there with four or five people who have just taught how to stand up. And they're just getting up, and they're just sort of carrying along. And there's a bit of a tide coming and pulling pulling through. And immediately my hairs stand on end as we go through these boats because it's just so dangerous and people don't even think, they have no idea that there's, an, there's a danger there. And the danger is that basically you could fall off and your board falls off the one side of the boat or you fall off and you're on the one side of the boat and your board's on the other side of the boat and then your leash gets dragged down underneath the boat and then you get dragged to the bottom of the water and a young girl drowned mm. like that in, in sydney harbour uh, quite some time ago and it's stuck mm-hmm. with me ever since and it's probably one of the most hazardous things to to cruise past but no one gives it a second thought if you so.
0: no no well it, you know and, and this is the thing about people who are who are trying this for the the first time um and who are new to the sport they don't understand the dangers and you know we we try in our course not to be sort of to do we don't sort of sit there in our reflective tabard with our clipboard and drone through <laughs> a number of um, things that you shouldn't do you know we don't want to make the whole experience an absolute misery but you know by pointing out that the hows and the whys that gives you the chance to be able to manage those things yourself and 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 um, the fatality this year in, in the uk happened for exactly the same reason you know that the tide was flowing quickly um the leash got caught around a a boy and um you know basically couldn't get down to to release it and um, for those of you who listened to my episode with Emma Love who is a whitewater paddler I'd recommend um, checking out the show notes for that because there's a video um his name escapes me so apologies for that but um up in Nottingham where they um they recreated a snagged leash on a whitewater um on a whitewater course and it shows how quickly you can get into trouble with an ankle leash if you do get snagged around something and uh, the guy doing it who's grizzled who spent a huge amount of t- time in the water came out looking quite shell-shocked by the experience so you know it can happen to the best of us and uh, it's something that we obviously discuss on the course and and things that you can do to sort of mitigate against that, which is obviously choosing the right leash for the environment that you're you're paddling in. And that's what um, I hope is and, makes and the just, course
1: more entertaining is that we add in a few stories from our own experiences um, throughout. And It's not mm. just, as you said, dour and boring and clipboardy. You know, we we, we try and make it more fun as well. So because it's it's there's a lot of experience in there that both Simon and I have had um, over the last few years, mm. and we we can throw in those stories to make it a little bit more colourful.
0: Mm, exactly and 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 we've we've both sort of flirted with sort of excessive risk as well and i think that that's the other thing which is really difficult to calculate when you're a new paddleboarder because we don't want to we're not joining this adventure sport because because we want to you know sit cocooned on on a on a sofa or something we do it because we enjoy being out in nature and we enjoy the exercise and you know do it learning new skills and doing something new and we are all all paddleboarders are exactly the same but what we need to make sure we do is when we go out in conditions then we tailor the risk to our level of experience and knowledge and the unfortunate fact is is that if we haven't had much experience and much knowledge then it could be absolutely horrendous conditions and we wouldn't really know until we actually place ourselves um, in danger so i think you know we've both been through those sort of risky situations where you know we've almost had um, all an all is lost moment um so we put our through, ourselves through that we've kind of learned for it um learned about it and uh, and we're obviously we obviously talk about that um in the course so that uh, you don't necessarily have to go through some of the things that that we have
1: yeah it's kind of like to- um, Kyle Enny, who went out at nazare big wave surfing the other day what did he say he said i got pummeled by those waves just so you don't have to
0: <laughs> exactly Exactly, yeah. It was uh, that was that was quite some video, wasn't it? He he basically uh, wipes out, and then it, it takes him quite some time until to get picked up on a jet ski. And then when it finally does happen, I think two or three arrive at once. So um, yeah. but yeah, that that's, was that's quite something. i Red certainly would that.
1: Red Bull have just released a, a story about his last six months in Hawaii and doing big wave because obviously Kailani. For those of you who don't know, Kylenia is this big water man from Hawaii. And he was the stand-up paddle world champion for about four or five years in a row, I think it was. I'm not sure. And um, mm. we managed to to interview him, which was great fun, And uh, back in 2015. But, but he's now become a big wave surfer. And I don't know, would you
0: ever want to venture into waves like that, Simon? Well, not on my 11-foot uh, inflatable, certainly not. Um, but uh, no, I, I don't think I'd do that. And, um, you know, these big waves are just just something something else you know Andrew Cotty Cot- is it uh, the yeah, British um, surfer and, and Chris uh, Chris Burtish um I, I listened to something a little while ago interview with Chris Burtish we must get him on the show he's a South African as well isn't he
1: he is yeah he's from Cape Town from my hometown yeah I really need to go and get hold of him
0: excellent talk about Andrew Cotton exactly.
1: as well he's a legend and and he came to speak at our Guadiana Challenge and he paddled my race board 32 kilometers all the way down the thing. And he said, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. I said, well, isn't surfing Nazare hard? And he said, nah, it's a breeze compared to this. I was like, come on. Wow. He was there a funny
0: guy. Yeah. yeah. No, fantastic. No, he, he's, he's quite a legend. Yeah. We should get him on as well, actually.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It'd be great to do that. But, um, yeah, obviously safety is vital and, and it's, and it's been wonderful to see so many people jumping on the water and enjoying stand up paddle. And, uh, Mm-hmm. And to see the industry jump right back up because it's it's uh, it's been phenomenal the the this year for stand up paddle it really has been incredible and I don't think anybody would have predicted that when we were in the middle of lockdown how it would bounce back I mean even surfing now I mean I go out um, paddle surfing down in my local break here in Faro um, during the winter and I've never seen so many surfers in my life and not all of them can surf but you know they're out there enjoying.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it's, it's the blue mind, isn't it? It's spending time on the water and, uh, you know, it, there's so many benefits and, and that's, you know, there's so many reasons why I'm still massively in love with this sport. Um, you know, that being one of them. So, uh, obviously we, we, you know, we've also benefited, I think from people being um, confined to their homes, I guess it's been a, a pretty shocking year, but, um, you know, the the initial lockdown was what prompted us to get back on the horse in terms of uh, the podcast and uh, and it's it's been mm. it's been brilliant fun actually we, we talked to some great people and uh, we've got some fantastic interviews in prospect haven't we
1: absolutely yeah it's, it's been been so much good fun but just to sum up this conversation i think um it's so important and it's wonderful to get out there. Just do it safely and, uh, yeah, get out there, paddle, and try a little bit of surfing, try a little bit of camping, and just expand your horizons mm-hmm. with stand-up paddleboard because there are so many things you can do and so many new places that you can see. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that, like, your what I discovered is I'd I've, I've, I've been living in the Algarve for 15 years before I started paddleboarding, and I've seen so many new places as a result of stand-up paddleboarding. And you see places with a different perspective, um, like for example, imagine mm-hmm. you know I've been paddling down the Thames in London. It's just totally different to to what it is like, obviously, walking in the street. So you get a completely different perspective in life. So you can uh, explore so many new yeah. things, and it, it's really exciting. It's a really exciting sport. So
0: yeah. Yeah, and no, absolutely, and and just to echo what you said, I I sort of drive my wife mad because um, I always look at destinations where we've been now in terms of, of stand up paddleboarding. Yeah. So, uh, John John McFadgian, who who I interviewed um, earlier, I think was it series two, I think. Was it, two it was a great interview. Anyway, yeah, uh, John, great interview. And, and and he's just such an inspiring guy, and and really sort of sparked me up. And I think um, I signed up to go on a on a paddle down the Canal de Midi in France with him as well. So we'll have to keep oh, that um, on the uh, and on he's the got agenda. Such an amazing but, uh, accent uh,
1: as well. I love that accent. Real rich, strong, yeah, rich, accent. yeah.
0: Yeah, decent, decent Scottish accent there. But he paddled in a place called Cinque Terre, which is um, a place that I've visited um, a few times. It's absolutely wonderful. It's an incredible Italian village, you know. It, it's or there's there's five basic um, villages, and it's these wonderful buildings, you know, from uh, which run from the the mountain down to to the rocky coastline. And you know, I just saw it as a, a fantastic scenic place to go. But but now I just see it in terms of of stand up paddle boarding and and going out there and uh, seeing it from a whole different angle so yeah yeah, i was there too
1: actually portofino was beautiful and and i've since learned about a place just around the corner from portofino which is um i think i can't remember what it's called but it's it's very difficult to get there and it would be so ideal to go there with a paddle board and they have a a little restaurant Mm. on the hill there with just the most incredible basil pesto pasta So I just love Mm. to. That's what it's been on my bucket list for for a good few years. I'm dying to get over there and and paddle the Cinque Terre. It would be
0: amazing. Yeah, excellent. Right, we'll have to have to meet up and and do that. It's fun. It looks absolutely spectacular. So, um, so really looking forward to to getting out. And uh, you know, I I think the. The last year has given me an opportunity to just paddle more on my home waters, which is always a pleasure, but uh, I am really looking forward to going a bit further afield. I don't know about you.
1: Yeah, it's always difficult to do it, but um, it's uh, something that I actually managed to do some really good paddles this year during lockdown. So the paddle that we did all mm-hmm. the way across the Algarve again, that was just incredible. Mm-hmm. I'd love to paddle. To be mm-hmm. honest, I don't really have a great desire to paddle all around the world. I want to see more of Portugal, to be honest, because there's so many rivers that snake through Portugal. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, touring on a paddleboard you know, using a river, is, is you, know, you see like a forgotten part of life. Because you know, people are all about mm. roads and rails and whatever these days. No one really pays any attention to the rivers and they're, they're kind of like lost corners of the world. Like the, the canals in the UK, we used to do some, some holidays in the canals and you just see it's a completely different angle in life. So,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. I think I'd like to exactly.
1: discover more of Portugal myself. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. What's the river that runs down to Lisbon? Because there's a big sort of port. Um, sort of um, sort of producing regions sort of around there, isn't there? Well, That, the, that would be something I, I quite fancy doing. The,
1: the river that runs to Lisbon is called the Teju or the Tagus River and that comes all the way from like right in the middle of Spain and it's one of the longest rivers in the Iberian Peninsula. But further north, the port region and that comes out in Porto is the Dura River and that's got the, all those beautiful vineyards mm. that you see terraced down next to the side. And, and we had planned to do a trip along the Douro River, actually, and, and ended up running into mm. some issues with the with the local authorities. And they wouldn't give us licenses and stuff. So we eventually just jumped onto another river called the Zezere and went into the Toja River and went down to Lisbon. So we did that for 270 kilometers, mm. which was an oh, amazing trip. Wow. Absolutely amazing trip. Yeah.
0: Mm. Love to do more Fantastic. of those. Good stuff. So I think you might have given your uh, answer anyway, but uh, tend to finish off these sorts of chats by asking about if money was no object um, and, you know, obviously there weren't restrictions. Where in the world would you really fancy paddling if it wasn't Portugal? If it wasn't Portugal?
1: Oh, gosh, I need to think about that. I think the um, Greece might be a wonderful thing. I think that Corinth Canal um paddle looks really amazing every year they do it obviously this year it's been it's been you know um a problem mm. but that looks amazing i'd really like to do the paris um paddle in the seine uh, i've got a friend down here mm-hmm. in the algarve and she went she paddled it she said it was incredible a freezing cold 5 a.m in the morning paddling down mm. in, in december in paris but but still it was an incredible feeling so yeah i think that will be nice those, what about those two? And also, hey, why, not, why not choose three? There's a paddle every year in Venice as well. Yeah. I love to paddle through Venice.
0: Oh, that'd be incredible. So I think there's a bit of a theme here. You've left London out, though. Why not London? Well, I've been there, done that, haven't I? <laughs> Have you? Well, Did, yeah, I, I didn't, you? You didn't paddle through? No, I didn't paddle didn't through paddle central through London.
1: No, I paddled in Richmond, actually. Mm. So it was quite far out. But um, mm. yeah, I, I know London quite well. And I'd just like to explore as well, I think. you know. Yeah, but London would be lovely.
0: Mm. Oh, why
1: not? Yeah, sure.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah that, i mean there aren't many opportunities are there to uh, to paddle through the center of london i mean not, not least because it's you know hugely fast flowing and there's a lot of traffic there as well so um that that's something that definitely needs to be done with a with an organized group but uh yeah that would uh that that would be quite quite fantastic yeah and the Good guys stuff. to do
1: actor 360 paul hyman he's uh interviewed him a while back and and he's the man if you want to go paddle through london so mm. get hold of him
0: mm. Definitely,
1: yeah. Good stuff. But it's been great chatting. Wow, well, it's been great chatting. Hmm. Yeah, you
0: know, it's been a while since we've done one of these uh, these episodes. It's good to, to chat. I can't believe I've never asked you about um, your first experience paddling. That's a real missing. That's, uh, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I think I, th- I, th- I think just to, just to sum up, you know, the um, the idea of this episode is to talk a lot about our learning um, and the importance of, of safety. I think that was sort of buried in the middle of it somewhere, but um, you know, safety is, is absolutely critical, and and our mission as a podcast is to keep people paddling, keep their interests going to start with, which is what we spend most of our time talking about. But the course is to keep people safe, and you know, it, and it's just to to provide that level of information. And quite frankly, where you get your safety information, whether it's from our course or or or, or a different course, it really does doesn't matter to us it's just about making sure that uh, you understand all the main uh, ingredients that come with safety and uh, and that way sometimes as you said Nick that makes it a whole lot more enjoyable because you can understand what's happening around you so i guess that's uh, that's the message from this episode um so Nick, um, we've got some fantastic interviews um, coming in the, the coming weeks as we get near to uh, Christmas. So um, we'll probably take a little bit of a break over, over the Christmas period and um, you know we, we shall see what we shall see. I, I think we should record a special Christmas episode, though.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, it's been great talking to you, Simon, and, yeah, we must do more of these. I think it's, it's good fun. And uh, mm. hopefully... I'll see you on the water.
0: Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you on the water.